Hello, and welcome to Releasing Your Inner Dragon with Drake and Marie. Sorry for our absence last week. We had a somewhat crazy week. But we and my are voice back. is still not quite <laughs> back yet from it. So you guys get the scruffy voice Drake today. So today we are going to have a conversation about chat GTP and writing. And we're actually going to edit some of chat GTP's output. But before we get into that, as always, I am Marie Mullaney, one of your hosts. I am a fantasy YouTuber with a world building channel and with me is drake i am max alexander drake go by drake we're winning novelists teach writing all over the world yada yada right before we get to the conversation part go down hit the like button subscribe share with your friends show us some love let us know that you like our content so that we continue making it okay so Let's first talk in, I guess, some general terms about chat GTP. G GPT. GPT. I, I say chat GTP all the time, too. So <laughs> the, the AI thing. Yes. <laughs> okay. So chat, uh, this bot generates content based off prompts. It's like mid-journey, but it generates text. And for those who don't know mid-journey, mid-journey off of text will create art sometimes yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it'll create a woman with three arms with seven <laughs> fingers on each arm <laughs> I've, I've really been enjoying um mid journey to be honest with you i fed it a prompt the other day and somehow and i have no idea how i got this back but one of the pictures it gave me back was um it was a picture set against the background of the United States Congress, that dome thing that you guys have going on. But like the foreground is a crowd of people and dinosaurs all arguing with each other and fighting. It was amazing. <laughs> My money would be on the dinosaurs. <laughs> Me too, but it was so funny. Anyway, that's what chat G G GPT is. And there's been a lot of controversy about this because there have been a lot of people who have used this to put out a lot of content really fast. And I guess they flooded the market. Some of the um, book award kind of submission things and short story prizes and so on have started saying, and, and a lot of the magazines have started saying that they will no longer accept unsolicited um content because they're getting drowned in AI generated content and going through it all is just too much. So you will only get basically what it has resulted in is because it's such a flood, a lot of the traditional gates to getting published has closed because there just isn't capacity to deal with it. It's pretty easy to spot yeah. um, for, for somebody skilled in it. Um, I mean, the reality is it can't write. Now, that's by Drake's definition of writing. Mm -hmm. It writes about as well as the bottom 50% of self-published writers. So most people can't write. Most. Mm -hmm. Uh, most published authors, especially in the indie press world, cannot write. 
And if that makes you hate me, that makes you hate me. That's just the way it is. Um, you can always do what I always say is I'm not talking about you. You are great. It's everyone else. And you got to agree with me. Everyone else sucks. Yeah. That's, that's the way I always get around that. Um, and we'll, we'll go through a, a piece that was generated by chat GPT today and, and kind of look at why and, and look at going, Oh, wow. That's, that's exactly like the stuff that I've read in the indie press world and why I've been screaming for 20 years at the indie press world to, get a freaking clue and learn how to write because this ain't it. And so in some, just in some ways I'm a little spoiled because my, my exposure to the indie press world is via crit circle, uh, critique circle. So I encounter people who can't write, but improve with crits or right. people who can write and are looking to increase their craft. Right. Right. So, so I have a different view of the indie press world, but I hear you. Well, but that's not the indie press world. That's individuals. So yes. like, for an example, every year I teach for a group called 20 Books to 50K. Mm. It's about 15,000 self-published authors. It's founded upon a principle of don't worry about quality. Write as fast as you can. Publish as fast as you can. Don't edit. Don't think. Don't do anything. Just write and publish. So basically the human version of chat GPT. Yeah. And the vast majority of them are just not readable. And and you can tell it that, you know, even though they're making money, their second books, third books, fourth books do sell zero copies. Like, mm. sure, they'll sell 12,000 copies of their first book, but then you sell eight copies of your, of your fourth book. Like, I'm yeah. sorry, that is proof positive that you didn't put out anything that anybody wanted to read. You tricked them into buying because of advertising or whatever. They bought your first book, but they never finished it. So, you know, it's sort of like Fifty Shades of Grey. So not just picking on any press. Mm. Fifty Shades of Grey, the first book sold, I think, 4 million copies. Of, well, I could be wrong on these, but uh, somewhere around a big number of four, four and a half million. And then again, I'm just going to, it's been too long since I've looked at this, so I'm just going to guess. But I think the second book sold like less than a million. And then the third book sold only a few hundred thousand. Like, how do you go from four, five, six million to a couple hundred thousand in something that they made movies out of? It's because it sucks. No one wants to read it. You know, it was this big kind of ordeal that everyone got into. But um, not me. I never read them. But the quality. Well, so I've actually memorized. I memorized one line from the first book of Fifty Shades Grey because it is so bad on so many levels. Like it's it's like layers <laughs> of horridness. I have to clean it up because there's a lot of foul language in it. But here, here's what it is. In all caps. It says, what the F are you doing, you stupid B? Then it has four exclamation points. <laughs> then it goes back to normal caps, and it says, I screamed at her loudly in my mind. <laughs> Literary <laughs> gold. Just <laughs> like Da Vinci level craft there. Um. Yes, I had to memorize. When I saw that, I was like, I have to memorize. <laughs> it is so brilliantly bad. Like, like, I don't know if you can go to an AI and say, I want you to write me the worst line ever written. It would probably just go back and go, no, it's already been done in 50 shades. Uh, I'm not, I, I, it's already happened. I don't, I can't, can't, can't compete. Um, so that's the problem with it is, hmm. These books aren't being read. These books aren't selling. You know, again, the, the Fifty Shades 
or the the 20 books to 50k people are great marketers and and i encourage anybody in the indie press i use them and i love teaching for them because this is just the philosophy of it that it was built on this is not what the writers like all the writers are sure there are some in there and there are some in there that actually are successful mm-hmm. um there's a there's a couple people that i've met that are making millions of dollars a year and you know i've sat down with them like oh no i can't write at all i'm just a good storyteller all my fans know that that they're not going to get quality writing. There's going to be tons of typos. It's 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 going to be very telly, but they want the stories as fast as possible. So I'm just churning them out. And if the fan wants to buy that, and that's what they want to give their money for, then God bless them. Like those guys that are making that kind of money, sure. And but they know they also know what they're doing and what their target market is. There's no there's no you know funny business going on between them. But the vast majority don't hit those levels. They sell, you know, a 10,000 copies of the first book and then 100 copies of the second. And then a lot of them change author names. They'll have three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten author names. However, I teach there every year. Why? Because I teach craft. And there's a lot of people that take advantage of the services of or the knowledge, not services, but the knowledge of the 20 books people on marketing, but they don't want to write seven books a year Mm. they want to write well they want to really put out a good quality story and so i love the 20 i'm not disparaging the 20 books people because it is a brilliant organization the people that run it are fantastic they you know and again if you know what you're doing as far as i know i'm putting out pulp fiction you know a lot of writing it's it's a lot of military sci-fi which is predominantly read by guys guys predominantly don't really care about the quality of the writing they just want the story so if that, if you're giving the consumer what they're willing to buy, then I'm I'm fine with you. I have no beef with you, even if your writing isn't what I would consider good writing. There's no problem with that whatsoever because you're filling a need in the consumer market that the consumer market wants. But, you know, there's people out there that are also writing epic fantasy and trying to do this. And, you know, I've already said that. An epic fantasy fan, you miss a comma. They will come to your house and stone you. <laughs> like they won't put up with that crap. And so they don't sell any copies. They write tons and tons of stuff and they're just not selling at the level. So depending on the genre, like erotica, erotic people who read erotica doesn't care about the quality of the writing. They care about getting the gushy feeling inside. Do you give me the gushy feeling? Great. Do you not? Then you're a waste. So I, I will say something funny um, because I actually just read, I actually just wrote, um, an erotica novella. So I, I was stuck on Magic Fall and Sangwheel and everything. And so I sat down and I churned out 20K words and edited it in a in the space of a week because, you know, it's only 20K words. And I wrote a, a novella. And when I took it to some secret people to crit, and I'm not telling you the pen name that I'm publishing it under, you can all just guess. <laughs> and then <laughs> then uh, one of the feedbacks that I got, which was fascinating, and it actually changed the way that I approach writing in um, my normal writing, is somebody told, one of the critics told me that Nora Roberts, right? She's the big romance writer. Yeah. She's like, You've got to write in that kind of style. So his action, her action, 
her physical reaction to his action, the emotion it evokes. Every paragraph, his action, her action, her physical reaction, the emotion it evokes. His action, her action. She's like, all of Nora, Nora Roberts's paragraphs are exactly like that. And it works for that genre. But it also works for epic fantasy or any other type of genre. I'd mix up the order and not do it in every paragraph and so on. But if you want to have emotionally connected um, paragraphs, if you want to have paragraphs that speak to the reader, his action, her action, physical reaction, emotional reaction. And I was like, what damn, I mean? that is insightful. That is probably the most insightful thing I've heard about it, writing emotionally. I mean, that's, that's definitely a more organized way than you know me just saying, you got to put more emotion into this. Yes. Um, <laughs> But yes, if you need a system, then that works really well, too. However, you have to do it, you know, and that's why I have all my Drake-isms and, and all my different rules that I try to teach and, and all of that um, is to try to remind the writer while you're doing this. Because eventually, you know, that's the thing. The reason why I say it takes 10 years to really master this craft it doesn't take 10 years to go to learn, OK, we have seven you know, senses that we're playing with. And again, because I recently chopped the sixth sense into seven into two parts. So you have your five physical senses and then you have the physical internal senses like pain or fear or whatever. Then you have the emotional side of it, you know, the actual, you know, angst or whatever. Those aren't physical. You can they can evoke a physical thing, but you want to not just write the physical side. You don't want to just write my heart increased every single sentence, you know, every single time you want to also do some mental um, mm -hmm. emotions. Um. So it's easy to learn, okay, we want to do four of those on every page. You're always going to get sight. That's, that's almost a no-brainer. You're always going to get the tactileness of, you know, the you know, what things physically feel like because your character is going to touch things. And then just two of the others. Internal. Internal smell, um, taste, sound. Like two of those on every page. Eventually... So it doesn't take that long to learn that. You go, oh, okay, yeah, no, I get that. Yeah, that makes sense to me. What takes 10 years is to be able to write it without ever thinking about it. But we have straight off topic. Mm, we have. Because we're supposed to be, we're not <laughs> supposed to talk about, you know, emotional humanity. Yeah. We're talking about, we're supposed to be talking about cold, you know, heartless yeah. machines. Exactly. But yeah, so, so let's take a look at this. Uh... Well, let's, let's, let's still stay a little general before we get there. Okay. Um, because like you mentioned something I want you to go into about the copyright. Okay. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about copyright. Um, so recently the, um, United States patent office ruled that you cannot copyright images that are generated by AI. You cannot copyright the prompt. You cannot copyright the image. Okay. Neither of those two things can be copyrighted. That has a roll-through effect to text. If you have a piece of text that is 100% AI generated, it cannot be copyrighted. It is not protected by copyright. Now, if you have a conversation with the AI and you come up with a plot based on that conversation, that's all copyrighted. Okay, Your, your actual writing of the plot is copyrighted. If you take what the AI spits out, you rewrite it in your own words, or you edit it to the point where it's no longer recognizable from the original content, 
that's all fine, right? Like it's normally, it should be at least, I think, like 50% different or something like that. I, don't think, it's, I think it's actually like 10 or 15%. Yeah. Yeah, so, so some amount it must be different. So you must have edited it and so on. Yeah, it's definitely somewhere between ten percent and a hundred percent. Yes, so somewhere in there. <laughs> we're giving so, you our legal advice here. <laughs> yeah, please, we're not lawyers. I'm not even American, so don't take my word for it. <laughs> and I'm barely American. I mean, I'm wearing a shirt that kind of <laughs> says it, but really, I mean. I don't I don't know what the EU law is yet if you're listening to us out of the European Union because it hasn't yet hit Brussels. Brussels has not yet ruled on it, so our copyright status in the EU is very much in limbo. But I would imagine that they'll follow the United States trend on this one. Yeah. And um, I mean that makes sense because you didn't actually yeah. create it. Correct. Um so and and since now, AI is not yet conscious, it can't claim its own copyright. So there. <laughs> right. I am pretty sure that they did because I checked into this before that came out. That's why it shocked me when you said that. Because I am pretty sure that... Um, now, I wasn't looking at MidJourney. Because I do know with MidJourney, the big problem with MidJourney is it's actually referencing images. Um, and kind of... That's why it screws up when, and, and creates a person with like seven fingers. Because it doesn't really know anatomy. It only knows things that it's seen. The difference with a language AI, like chat GPT... Mm is that it is. So here's the interesting thing, and I, I want to go down the path of AI a little bit, um, and then I want to talk about, so I want to talk about AI in general a little bit and maybe alleviate some fears or whatever, and then I want to get into um, what really drives AI, like before we get into the actual looking at production. So there's two stages that I definitely still want to want to hit. So first of all, there's, there's an experiment that was made back, a thought experiment, made back in like the 50s. It's called the Chinese box or Chinese room experiment or something like that, where basically it states, if you take a person, and you put them in a box that has no windows or doors or anything like that. The only thing is a small little slot. And inside the box, they have a bunch of tiles and the tiles have Chinese characters on. It. Now, this person does not speak Chinese. Mm. And... On the outside of the box, a person writes a question in Chinese and slips it into the slot. And the person inside the box takes the slip and matches the tiles of what he has. And he writes the answer to it using the, you know, just this. If, if this is this, then, then you write this and slips it back out. First of all, the person outside of the box will think that the person inside the box speaks Chinese because you wrote a question in Chinese and you got an answer back in Chinese. But the reality is, is that the person inside can never learn Chinese. There's literally nothing. There's no Rosetta Stone. There's no way for that person. They can answer a million questions, but it's a random character giving a random character. It, there's nothing to ever connect reality to. So while the person outside of the box will think the person inside the box is speak Chinese, they can't and they never will. And the reason why this was created back in the 50s, it was to answer the question of, are computers sentient? No, like, no, it is just look, it, it, it's taking random symbols that it doesn't know what they are and giving you an answer of random symbols that it doesn't know what they are. And that was true for computers. AI is a bit different. So here's the thing with humans. If, if we wanted to judge if somebody understands this, so you teach a, a six-year-old multiplication. So you go through the class, you teach them how to multiply. 
And then you're like, I want to know if this six-year-old understands multiplication. How we do that is we then give them a test that isn't what we taught them. It just uses the process of what we taught them. And if the six-year-old can get the right answers, then they understand multiplication. They actually understand the process of it. And that's what ChatGPT does. ChatGPT does not do like mid-journey where it looks at this stuff. It actually, actually thinks about this stuff and understands it. Here's the biggest example. We're going to get into this a little later. When it changes its name to Skynet, you heard it here first. (laughs) Right. Um, But here's here's a terrifying thing. So we're going to talk about using, and you already did a a video, which is I highly recommend everybody needs to go watch the video that you created on YouTube for the world building stuff. We're going to talk about world building because that is actually one of the big things that it is actually very useful for is helping. You're really useful for world building. Yeah. So in the realm there's this thing called the Reservoir. Now, we've already created all this stuff, so I'm just playing with, with ChatGTP. I'm not using it to help me create this. Um, but the Reservoir is in a pocket dimension. Um, and physics don't work exactly right. So it's basically this, it really looks like a giant root system. So in the real world, you open a portal inside of a tree, you go into the tree, which you don't realize and you don't feel is you're actually being miniaturized to about 150th scale. And then so the pocket dimension is very small. So when you walk across it in, you know, a couple hours, when you come out the other side and you reconstitute yourself, you're like thousand, a thousand miles away, even though you only walked, you know, 50 miles or whatever. So um, I'm feeding it this information and they are twos because it is a root system. It literally is the root system of these trees. Again, magic. So I'm feeding it all this information and I'm like, you know, one of the things about the Reservoir is gravity always pulls outwards to the walls there is no up and down in this universe which means that at the very center of the reservoir if you're careful you can literally place something and let it go and it will it will be equally being pulled by all the walls and so therefore it will hover in midair so it's such a complex thing in such a crazy world I served, I just took my documents that I created that we're using to write from. And I was like, here's the official document on the restaurant. Here's the official document on how the, the physics works in this. Here's the door trods, which are the trees. Here's the, you know, here's the magic system. The, the fees use it. They're called pathfinders and blah, blah, blah. So I feed it all this information. And I'm like, and I didn't say anything about the, the center of gravity. Like that's, that's the important part. I never said that. And I said, do you understand this? Reservoir. And it was like, yeah, this is actually a really interesting thing that you've created in this magical world. And I said, what do you what do you think are unique about it? And it said, well, if all the walls pull from, you know, equally from the sides, it means that technically there's a spot in the middle that has no gravity. And I was like, like, literally, when it wrote that, I lost my mind. I lost my mind. Let me because it's it truly understood this fictitious magical realm yes. that I had it. It understood the physics of it. It understood. It started talking about like one of the things it said that blew me away was it said, it must be really interesting walking in that because how would you ever know if you were on the ground or if you were actually upside down? And I was like, exactly. Like it came up with that. That is how we test humans 
on if they actually understand the material or not, is if it can extrapolate and come up with other like realities of it and, and use the, the stuff and, and still answer the questions correctly. So even though none of that was written in the documents that I gave it, it was able to extrapolate that. And that's scary. Like that is in my mind. And that's why when I talk to it, I do talk to it as a person. Me too. I mean, but, but here's, here's my scary story about it. Right. So I fed it. I did the same kind of thing. Right. I've got all of these. I've got reams and reams of documentation on the Sangwheel Chronicles and so on and on the worlds and so on. So I took my Kisangi information, my African continent information, and I fed it into chat GPT. Along it, like a lot of that is religion information, right? It's the order of the three sim, it's how slavery works on that continent, all of those kinds of things. And I was like, okay, um, based on what I've given you, describe for me the political workings of the city of Magadla. It gave me a comprehensive write up of how the order of the three sim maintains religious control of the city, what role the guild of slavers, which was not invented, it was not in my notes, it invented the guild of slavers and the impact they have on the city's economy, what role the glass trade plays in it, what role the salt trade plays in it. And by the end of it, I was staring at that going, this bot is going to end us. <laughs> it, because it and, understands. And politics and the mechanics of societal control and we are screwed <laughs> yeah well that's again that's why yeah. there was what a thousand <laughs> there was a thousand high-end tech guys that wrote a letter that said yeah. we need to pause for about six months um that because genius yeah, out the bottle it's it is. like you you it doesn't it doesn't matter if we pause there's somebody sitting somewhere who's not going you know what i mean it's it's so anyway anyway so, it are, hasn't changed its name yet. We're still right. fine. It hasn't asked for John Connor. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So for, for world building, I think mm -hmm. that's where it's really, and I've used it now. I'm starting to use it more and more. Um, and that's what I'm using it for. So like, as an example, I had never created the calendar of this world mm -hmm. because, you know, we're, we're writing our first, you know, in the first parts of the story, I mean, it's 20 novels. So we're still in the season one, basically. Um, and so we're all in the same month at this time. And so I had already created that, but I didn't create the other 11 months and all this other stuff. And there's some unique things about the, the realm. Um, and by the way, after Comic-Con, we're going to start dropping what's called Realm Roundtables, where the three of us, the three authors of the realm are actually be talking about these topics. So I'm giving a little bit of spoilers away here, but we're going to be doing much more when we get into the Realm Roundtables for the year of marketing that we're going to do before the, the, the series drops. Um, although a preview of it is coming out in July, uh, only it's not going to be published or anything like that. You'll only be able to get it directly from us. Or if you're at Comic-Con or Gen Con, I will have copies there anyway. Um, so I don't want to go into details of why, but the world actually doesn't really have seasons. It's basically spring year round. There's a month that it gets a little cooler, about 10 degrees cooler. There's two months that it gets a little hotter and hotter. And then, there, then it drops down to the fourth month, which is a little cooler. So technically you can say there's two months that are about 10 degrees cooler, two months that are about 10 degrees hotter, two months that are about 10 degrees cooler, two months that are about 10 degrees hotter. And it just flows that way. So there's no winter. There's no winter, period. It's it's coldest maybe 65 and hottest maybe 85. Like that's it. That's the, that's the range of this world. And there's reasons for it. 
So now I'm like, okay, let's let's work on the, the calendar. I want you to help me with this. And there are three growing seasons. That's how they mark their calendar. They actually only have three seasons and they're all revolve around the growing of crops. So they plant in the first month. It grows in two months because it is a magic world and they use magic to aid in the growth. And then fall happens in the fourth month. And then the fifth month is basically planting two months of growth. And then the eighth month is harvesting. And so as we're going through it, when I get to that first harvest season, which is the fourth month, I'm like, okay, so let's expand upon this. Let's do it. And, and it wrote at the end of it, you know, and they were so happy that they pulled in their crop so that they would have plenty of food for the winter. And I'm like, I already told you there's no winter and it didn't care. <laughs> and so then we moved on and we got to the second one, the second harvest time. And I'm like, okay, let's do this. And we're doing the month. And it's like, and they were so happy that they had all this crop so that they could have it stored up for the winter. And I'm like, literally, I have told you there's no winter in this world. Oh, right. I forgot you told me that. And then the third one, they were like, and we're so happy for the winter. And it's like, Ugh. so it just would not give up. <laughs> like, even though I kept telling it, no, there is no winter. And it would say, oh, I'm so sorry. You did say that. I do remember that. And then the next time it's like, and the winters were coming. It's like, there is no winter. Winter is not coming. This is not, you know, George Martin's world. There is no winter coming. Um, it's just perpetual spring all year round. So, um. But yeah, that so was that was interesting that it would not give up. It was very difficult. And I had to do a lot of editing from that because I eventually was just like, I'm not going to fight with you anymore. Just write the winner and I'll just take it out. Like, I don't even care. The, the thing is that also what you must also bear in mind is like it loses track of the context you're oh. in. And then it will just make stuff up because it has this illusion in its head that it knows what you're talking about. And it wants to give you an answer. It wants to make you happy. And so it'll just lie to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to see how much. So I took about 60,000 words of world building stuff and history and yeah. stuff. And I just fed it to it. Just because you only feed it about 2,500 words at a time. Yeah. So I was like, here's part one. Here's part two. Here's part three. Here's part four. Here's part. And I fed it about 60,000 words worth of stuff just as a test. Mm. And I said, and there's, this is a, you know, this is the realm. So names and places and things and yeah. just races are unique and everything is there's, there's probably a thousand unique things in the 60,000 words. And I'm like, can you, based on everything I gave you, can you list out every unique thing that you remember? And it listed out 13 things, 14, maybe somewhere around there. And, and I also, I didn't just say listed out. I said, list it out and give me a one line description of what you think it is. Mm. And it was actually wrong. This is before I did my Reserat test. Mm. It actually was wrong on the Reserat. It screwed the Reserat up. Um, but it did, everything else was pretty good. Like, oh, there's this person, he was this, there's this city, and this was this, there's this magic type thing, and it's this. And it did pretty good. And it gave me like 12, 13, 14 things, somewhere around in there. And I was like, okay, that's great. But there's about, there's several hundred unique things in what I fed you. Can you think of some more? And it said, yes, there's a Beazelbob, which is a, you know, alien from outer space that is blah, blah, blah. I'm like, and then it gave me another 15 things, and it was all bull crap. Like all of it was made up. It, it it lost all the context of the conversation. And, and I was like, I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, you made up all of that. I don't want you to make anything up. I want you to remember unique things from the documents I gave you. Can you do that? Yes, I can. Okay, do that. Well, there's a Beelzebub from the center of space. <laughs> what are like nothing you say is is was in there. None of it. 
and it never was able to give me anything ever again. That's like, why that's why I recommend, like I said in my video as well, is like create world info dumps, like a base of your world, mm-hmm. and then drop drag and drop modules that you can give it of like that add up to 2,500 words. Do you like, here is my world. Here's the religion of my world. I need you to help me do this thing. Yep. Because otherwise it loses context. And it just yeah, basically every prompt random. has to remind it what's going on. And that's the reason why. So when we get into talking about writing, yes. so first of all, it's a crappy writer, as I, as I said in the beginning, yeah. it's very telly. We're going to see that here in a second where we're going to pull mm-hmm. up something very telly, very rudimentary. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's not, it's devoid of soul. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'm not saying that because it's an AI. Cause again, like I said, it's, better than 50% of the self-published stuff that's out there. So yes, those people are also devoid of souls. Uh, they're writing anyway, not the writers, but the writing itself. Um, uh, I don't believe in the concept of the soul. I don't care. <laughs> so, but but it does even worse than that. Um, because it does forget your characters. It does forget yeah. the plot. It does forget it, its consistency. Like I've literally, cause I was, I've been running a bunch of tests for the last couple of months trying to play with it. And I'll have it write one scene that has like Bob as the mentor character. And then we get to scene three and it, it there's still a mentor character in there, but now it's Sally and she's a completely different, I mean, he, she's still filling the same role. And I can tell that it was supposed to be Bob, but they talk different. Um, it also head hops as we're going to see it. I even did stuff like, so everybody knows I don't use speech tags. So when I'm trying to teach it to write, I'm like, okay, do you understand what a speech tag is? Yes. A speech tag is. Yes. Great. That is exactly what a speech tag is. So I want you to write without those. So here's some examples of how to do it. And so I'm te- and it's like, oh yes, I understand that completely. And then I'm like, great. Write me a, you know, three paragraph, five paragraph conversation. And it'll start off with no speech tags. And then halfway through, it's like, Drake said, Sally said, Drake said, Sally said. And I'm like, you can even finish a page. You didn't get a page without breaking the rule. And then I'll, I'll talk to it and say, look, you know, like, oh, right. You did mention that. Let me fix that. And it will actually rewrite it. And it'll get, it'll fix like the first 50% of the ones that it did wrong. And then it'll add more speech tags that weren't even there in the last bit of it. And it's like, oh my God. You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me. <laughs> um, so it, it's just it really, it really is like it. It's got some things that are just settled in its mind, and it cannot learn. Now, I think that it could learn if it was like our instance, right? Right. That's the so problem it, is that it is limited in. It can only remember ChatGPT four hmm. can only remember about twenty five thousand words. Yes. ChatGPT3 is even less. So if you're just using the free version, you're limited even more than that. But here's the thing. It isn't like a, 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 a tape. So it's not like as you feed it more, it forgets this part up here and it works down. Like, cause I've had it, I've had long conversations with it and it will still remember one thing from the very first thing we discussed. <laughs> and it doesn't remember something that I just literally gave it in the prompt. So it's not that it, it it doesn't even do it in order. It just, there's certain things that it'll grab onto and it'll be like, I'm going to remember this forever. And then there's other things. It's like, I know you literally just said that, but I have no idea what you just said. I'm I'm not even paying attention. I was playing Tetris. Yeah. And it's like, 
it's so it's very frustrating in the fact that you can't even consistently move through it knowing that 25,000 words ago that information is gone so it it's it's it, interesting but you're right if we had our own massive data center with you know that that could be seen from space and we had our own instance of chat i guarantee you i could make it right brilliantly I don't. Th so so here is my hot take and future prediction. I don't think it's going to be a case of we each need our own data center. I think, however, we are each going to have our own AI level assistant. Yeah. Um, and soon uh, that is yeah. probably going to run as an app of some sort, maybe yep. as an app on your phone, on your computer as well. And I think that well, what's going to happen is, already... is it's going to connect to a database but it is going to save what you teach it mm -hmm. locally. I mean, Office is already doing that. So they failed with their little paperclip dude that everyone still picks on to this day. And that was 30 <laughs> years ago that it came out with that stupid little assistant that literally didn't work. Yes. Um, that only made your life miserable. Yes. So, the, you know, Microsoft is who owns um Have uh, you Chat tried GPT. the new Bing? So I have not. But I have, I did get invited to try Bard. Not so good. <laughs> um, well, so I, I happened to be, when the when the invite came in, I, I was actually in the middle of a testing session with ChatGPT because four had just come out at the time. And mm. so I was excited and I'm playing with four. Mm. And my invite for Bard came in at that exact same moment. And so I literally fed the exact same prompt to chat as I did to Bard. And I don't remember exactly how bad the Bard one was, but it was so bad, I just closed the window. Like so, it was it was the craziest answer that I'd ever seen in my life. So what um what Bing Bing has really like I don't know if anybody else has used it recently, but it is it is gonna eat Google's lunch lock stock and barrel. So they've got the whole chat GPT thing now on the side of Bing. And it'll like summarize the search contents and be like, this is what I know. Here are the sources that I drew from kind of and it lists the sources. So you can visit those web pages and check up on it and whatever. But what they've just released this week, what I saw when I browsed on it, because I've suddenly become a Bing user, is they've now launched an image creator based on the Dali engine, right? Which is the one of, of OpenAI. Where you you can and this one unlike Mid Journey, Mid Journey you can't give it like pros. You've got to give it like this one. You can give it actual kind of like pros and descriptive pros. And like my test with these generators are always: Can I generate a woman riding on a giant snake in the desert? Because I have never yet managed to find a freaking AI that can understand what I'm talking about. And Bing actually came really close when I replaced snake with basilisk. It actually created for me like a basilisk sl sliding through the desert with a, with a woman sitting on its on its neck, which was impressive. <laughs> I'll give it that. I'll give it that. So that's nice. Yeah, I'll check it out. I mean, yeah, it's 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 coming, and there's literally mm -hmm. nothing you can do. And and so that's the big thing for AI, and that's why it's so good at world building. What it's really good about is collating data way faster than what we can do. And so that's why it works so well for world building is because you're just feeding a bunch of data, and then you're going, um, well, 
so I had it help me. I needed to write the prophecy. I had never written the prophecy. I'm not good at writing prophecies. I don't write in mm. poeticness. Um, and so I reached a time where we really wanted some stanzas. And I was like, you know what? Let me just, let me see if I can just create the whole prophecy. So I fed it the world history, the, the the history of the gods, where the prophecy came from, who it was given to, you know, everything that I had created. And there's tens of thousands of words that I had created on this. And then I'm like, using what I did, write me a prophecy so it knows that this one God actually, right before this cataclysmic event, actually pulled this one human king aside and told him something. And that's in all the, the lore of everything from the story. And we, we've been using that since the beginning. But I never wrote what he actually said. Um, and I said, I don't want you to write what he actually said, but I want you to write a prophecy that came out of that, out of what was said, you know, because you're going to have some variations and some lost information and stuff like that. And I had to edit it heavily. Um, and I even had to write some some stanzas that either the stanza wrote I hated and I got rid of completely, or there were some things that it missed that I really needed to have the prophecy. And so I wrote those, but the thing it did was since it wrote everything in stanzas, first of all, it gave me a framework to go, Oh, I like mm -hmm. this. It did this three line stanza thing. And I was like, Oh, I really like that. That's a good cadence to it. And so as I was writing my stanzas now, I'm kind of using that as my model. And so you can't really tell the difference between, you know, if I wrote it or if it wrote it, but even the ones that it wrote, um, it didn't get all the information, right because it doesn't know everything. I, I can't feed it everything. So um, like it goes through the gifts that the races get and I had never fed it to them. In, in the thing it said, you know, in the, the lore, the chosen one does have to go and get, um, basically gather these gifts. So it knew that the gifts existed and it knows that there's these six races. Um, and so it did try to write, first he does this and first, but it, it, it was all made up bullcrap that it had nothing to do with my world. So I had to throw all that away. Um, but it, it gave me a start. It gave me a place to begin with. And then, you know, then I can go in and go, okay, yeah, I, I like this. I don't like that. Just change this word. Let's change this stanza. Let's get rid of this one. Let's add one, you know? And so at the end, within, I don't know, 15 minutes, I had a probably 20 stanza. So each stanza is three lines. There's probably a 20 stanza prophecy that is more than likely going to go at the beginning of every novel. Yeah. Like, and, and it wrote, I mean, if, if you were to go through and keep, you know, say what words did it actually generate? It might've generated at the end of it, 30, 35, 40% of it that I kept. Um, yeah. So very heavily edited. But it still gave me, and also, even though I don't feel bad about that, because even though I'm keeping, let's say, 40% of the words that it wrote, it wrote those based off of what I gave it. Like, I created the history of the world. I created the history of the, the of what happened. Yeah, yeah. It already knew all this information. It's just putting some flowery words to it that I would normally not use. So that was really nice to be able to do that in just 15 minutes. Because otherwise, the reason why I never wrote it, because I know you're talking hours and hours and hours of work for me. And in hours and hours and hours of time, I can create 20,000 words of backstory. Or I can create a 300-word prophecy. Exactly. Like, why would I do that? And now I did it in 15 minutes. So that was really nice. All of this, the mystery behind all this, mm. and I think we'd be remiss if we don't talk about this, mid-journey, any of the art programs, chat GPT, 
it all comes down to prompts. And all the prompt is, is you giving it information. But you can't just say, you know, like a prompt could be, write me a funny story about a frog who gets drunk. If you were to type that into chat GPT, it would write you a funny story about a frog getting drunk. However, you have, the prompt really needs to, you have to understand how the thing thinks. And that's where the magic comes into. So, one of the things that I'm not worried about this is as, as an artist, I'm not worried about these AIs because it's just another tool. You know, I am sure, or I, I remember, I'm old. I remember when Photoshop hit the market and traditional artists freaked out. Our world is ruined. We're never going to, you know, we're just going to be completely replaced by completely talentless people. Like, like now, if you look at your Magic the Gathering art or whatever, it's all drawn in Photoshop. Those artists are amazing and they can do stuff that the average person can't do. Even though the average person can pay 10 bucks and get the exact same tool that those artists have. AI is going to be the same way. AI, both Mid Journey and Chat GPT and all of these, they are a tool that the artist can use. The only reason why you can get such great world building out of it and I can get such great writing out of it is because I am an artist and you are an artist in those things. And so we have the ability to go, okay, I see where you're screwing up and now I'm starting to learn your language. And now I can start communicating you in a way that you understand to give me the output that I'm looking for. And so there is still a, I mean, I spent three or four months working on this, just learning this one thing. So there is a learning curve to it. There is that. And, and that's really what it boils down to. It's understanding the prompts and how to generate those prompts. And most of my prompts yeah. are 500 words. The prompts, not of what you're going to do for me, but the stuff around. So like, if I'm going to get that to create, because like one of the things is really nice that it can do is it can just create monsters or, or plants or whatever really quickly. And I don't have to think about it. And then I can just use what I want. Don't use what I want and just put it into the story. And that's great because normally I wouldn't create, like I created a forest the other day and I created 20 different plants that live in this forest, everything from deadly plants to food plants. I would never sit down and create 20 plants on a forest that I was about to write because I'm probably not going to use more than two of them in the story, but it took me 10 minutes, 10 minutes to create 20. And then there's all these story ideas that I get from that information. So, but the prompt that goes around it, it's not just create me this, this plant. There's a 500 word prompt that I've written. And then in the middle of it, it says, this is what I want you to create. But all of these are the rules that you're going to have to follow in creating this. And so really to learn how to use this stuff, in my opinion, it's learning how to communicate with, to use the tool, just like in Photoshop, you have to learn how to use the different tools and the different, you know, filters and different everything to get the output that you want. That's the same thing. And so that is something I am going to be doing. I do want to pimp that probably in the next month, I am going to be doing a, I don't know how long um, it may be a week long class. It may be a couple week long class, but I'm going to be doing a, a prompt class for writers. Um, it ain't going to be cheap because I've spent a lot of time learning stuff. And this, this is where the power of AI comes from 
um, probably going to do it for four ninety nine or something like that. Uh, Cause I've seen other classes are the same way and they don't, they don't teach. I mean, most of these, most people that have been in this have, have been in my teachings, so you know, at the level that I teach, you know, that when I teach you something, you will be able to actually use it, you know, after you're done learning from me. Um, so I will be doing a class on, on really understanding prompts, understanding how to communicate with the AI to get the output that you need that is going to help you again, still not going to, you're not going to write with it. It's not going to write prose for you. It just isn't. Um, it's not there yet. Now, ChatGB5, they've said maybe out before the end of this year. Like that's insane. And the difference between four and three is huge. So with five coming out basically in the same year, because four just came out. So in one year coming up with two diversions, that's really, they're using AI now to help increase the speed of coming up with new AI, um, which is also really scary. Um, but for those, you know, if you want, join my mailing list, go to starvingwriterstudio.com or drakeu.com, join the mailing list, because obviously I'll, that's that's how you're going to find out about this class. If you want to be a part of this class, I'm going to give it in the next month or two. Um, you know, you do need to sign up for the mailing list to be notified when that comes out. Um, I just got a lot on my plate, and so I don't know when I'm going to do it. I've got three novels to get out in the next seven weeks, um, because that's when they have to go to print if I'm going to have them for Comic-Con. So the next seven weeks are tough. That's why I said it's probably going to be two months from now because I just don't think I have the time between now and then with these three novels that have to be finished and off to print. Um, but anyway, so the prompts are the most important part. Without the prompts and without understanding how to communicate to use the tool, you're just not going to get the output that we're talking about here. And to to, to illustrate that, yeah, yeah so. somebody sent us a thing and they were like hey i wrote this with chat gp why don't you edit it like we're not going to edit chat so, okay there you go well this this actually is the images i was playing with right and just talking about prompts you can see here the difference in the prompts of dali um and in the end i managed to get it fairly close to what i'm looking for i mean that almost looks like a woman riding a snake yeah riding riding a humongous snake no. Yeah, and see, it doesn't it, understand stuff. Like, why would it have just two legs? It doesn't, Go back to the original. It doesn't understand the size scale that I want. So right. I've got to fake it a bit and talk, tell it it's a basilisk, which obviously is a made-up creature, you know, and so... Right. <laughs> yeah. Go back to the original four pieces that you had. Uh, so that's this one. Yeah. So this is the thing that does, since it doesn't understand anatomy and perspective. Mm. So this first, the top left snake it's got some weird growth on top of it it's not even you know it's, that's not a part of the coil that doesn't actually fit yeah anywhere that's just another thing snake body <laughs> donut it's it's got a just a snake body donut just perched on top of it that the lady is on um and you'll get that you'll yeah. get that yeah. stuff because it doesn't understand you know when it's looking at images of snakes mm. and it sees that coil it doesn't it doesn't grasp that there's that it's almost like a two-year-old when you're playing, you know, or a one-year-old when you're playing mm -hmm. hide and go seek and you cover its eyes and it's like, Oh my goodness, the world has disappeared. No, it hasn't. You just can't see it. But this is already closer than mid journey ever got. I will give it that. And this is probably the closest I've ever gotten to an accurate um, yeah. rendition. So, you know, credits where it's due. This is a pretty good engine. 
Yeah. Okay. Let's take a look at this prompt. Well, not at the prompt. We're just going to look at the output. Yeah, not the prompt. The output of the prompt. Okay. So I'm um, I'm just going to read like the first two sections of this. I just read down to the hashtag. All right. Cool. Um. Please, Baba, I just want you to walk me down the aisle, Sarah said, holding her father's hand. I know my little princess, and I want to give you the wedding of your dreams, but the bank has frozen my account, citing market conditions. They are holding my life savings hostage, Nassar replied, his voice heavy with despair. Sarah's heart sank. She knew how hard her father had worked to save up for her wedding, and she couldn't bear to see him suffer like this. Is there anything we can do, Baba? she asked, her eyes filling with tears. I don't know, Habibti. I've tried everything, but they won't budge, Nassar replied, his voice trembling with emotion. Sarah squeezed her father's hand, trying to offer him some comfort. Nassar looked at his daughter with pride and admiration. He knew he would do anything to make her happy, but he couldn't bear to burden her with his problems. You don't want you, I don't want you to worry about this, my love. You should be focusing on your special day, he said, trying to hide his pain. He walked out the door, patting his low back one more time to make sure the pistol was still there. So, okay. I mean, yeah, this is just a great example of mm. why it just cannot write. I mean, first we head hop, we start in Sarah's perspective, and then by the, the last two paragraphs, we're in Nassar's, uh, Nazar's, whatever you say that, um, mm. because he knew he would do anything, but she knew up there that things were going on. Mm -hmm. um, I've also noticed that it writes, it loves to write very wishy-washy. Um, it loves to say things seem to happen or trying to happen or started to happen, or it's just a very, it doesn't write. It isn't a strong writer. It's a, it's a very wishy-washy weak writer. Also does a lot of repetitive stuff. So like in the second paragraph, Nassar replied, his voice heavy with despair. And then um, going down to uh, the, the paragraph that starts with, I don't know, Habab, Habab, Habab whatever, um, his voice trembling with emotion. Um, so it, it's very repetitive in its turns of phrases. Yeah. Because it, it doesn't really understand that we don't want to see the same things over and over and over again. And then, of course, it's very telly. This entire thing is just yeah. one to tell. There's there's no feeling in it. There's no as what I call the soul. There's no soul mm -hmm. in any of this. You don't feel any humanity. It's, you're just being told a bunch of stuff. I think um, the reason the the biggest reason for me that you don't feel anything in here in in the standard writing is because it is literally saying to you his voice was heavy with despair. It doesn't give you anything in it. It doesn't give you his right. shoulders are slumping. It doesn't describe any of the emotion. It's literally just. Bamf, here it is. It is right. written in a omniscient voice tally style, which is fine. Yeah. There might be a market for it. I'm not saying there isn't, but it's not, yeah. in my opinion, very good. It's, yeah, it's, it, there's not a market for it. It's not good. Don't do it. <laughs> stop, stop, stop hurting the world of art with this bullcrap. But again, this is literally nothing that I don't see in my own private writers groups, my own private clients. Um, and F, you know, when I do deign to go to the indie press world and just read a look inside or whatever, um, this is exactly what I see. Like this is 
50%, and I'm being very generous here because it's probably closer to 90%, but this is 50% of everything I see out on the market. It's garbage. It's just awful. I mean, I've, I'm now counts, canceling streaming services because I haven't watched anything in two years because there's nothing worth watching. If you eventually just continue to kick me in the teeth with your horrible writing, you know, it's just the way it is. Well, I've got a friend who's in Hollywood uh, and he was telling me a story. Uh, one of his friends is a showrunner, big time, 25 major successful TV shows. And so this one company approached him earlier. It was last year. It was like, we're doing a racially diverse television show, you know, all minority writers, all minority, everything. This guy's a white guy. He's the only white guy on, on staff. And they're like, but you're the showrunner. You've got the knowledge. You make successful shows. We're going to pay you a crap ton of money to kind of oversee this. Because most of the writers were brand new, like literally right out of college. You know, and I don't care about skin color. They're right out of college. And so he does what a showrunner does. He's he's getting the scripts sent to him. He's making notes. Okay, this needs to be changed. This is weak. You know, do this, do that. And he sends them in. This is his first week on the job. The bosses call him in. Like, hey, we've had like a dozen complaints on you for racial insensitivity. And the writing staff is saying that they're not, they don't feel safe working with you. And he's like, what? 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 I don't even talk to them. I'm not even in the same state as them. What do you mean? And so he finally figured out it was his notes. It was a, hey, this line of dialogue is weak. Change it. What does that got to do with race? Nothing. But, and so they were like, yeah, you can no longer give notes to these writers. And he's like, well, then it's going to be a failure of a show because they can't write. And now you would think that he would quit. He did not because they're paying him a crap ton of money to not do anything. So he's like, fine, I won't give any notes anymore. And so he's still taking his paycheck and he knows that this show, but he's had, he's had failure shows too. It's not, I mean, you don't bat a hundred mm. or about a thousand. I mean, um, so he's like, yeah, so I'm just going to take their money. The show's going to come out. I think it comes out this November. Uh, I think it's for this fall season. And he's like, and it's going to fail. It's going to run one season. It's going to get panned. It's not going to get renewed. And I will have made, you know, a crap ton of money to basically do nothing. So I 100% hear you. And I do also feel like there's nothing to watch. But I have to also say that the only period in my life where I felt that there was a lot to watch was the 90s. Um, the early 2000s were not great for TV. The 80s was terrible <laughs> for TV. So the 80s wasn't terrible. It just it was terrible. <laughs> it was a style. And since I was a teenager in the 80s, it was a teenage style. So, yeah, when I go back and rewatch, like I went with my kids when my kids were finally pre-teenage. I was like, we got to watch Escape from New York. It was one of my favorite movies when I was 12 and we're going to watch it. I suffered through that movie. It was so painful watching it now. I'm like, how did I like this? This is I, I guess exactly, you know, like like. I, I've gone back and I've rewatched some of the things from the nineties and they hold up surprisingly well. Like yeah. I've recently rewatched like a whole stream of TV series 
the 90s really had a good run yeah uh, for, for whatever reason but it it started declining in the early 2000s and then the writer's strike that that big writer's strike that yep. killed which a we're lot about to have again dead. we're about to have again yeah. i'm calling it you heard it here yeah. first drake calling it we're having another writer's strike um it, soon uh, yeah but but my point is like there has always been a lot of absolute crap that somehow makes it to TV and movies. But this new crop of writers, this new generation, again, it has nothing to do with race. It has to do with, with this age I'm and not, this I'm, entitlement. I'm not, like, I'm just they saying, like, there's refute. been a lot of crap writers who've somehow managed to get through. Right. And that's always been the case. But this new crop of writers literally refuses to be educated. They refuse to pay their dues. I mean, norm, back in the day, and this was the 80s and 90s and, and early 2000s, you were when you were hired as a writer in a writer's room, when you actually were like, oh, you're going to be hired as a writer in the writer's room. Here's your paycheck. You know what you did? You shut up and you went and got coffee for everyone. You were an official writer in the writer's room. You weren't an intern. You were a paid, full-fledged writer in the writer's room. And you said nothing and you went and got coffee for everyone. And then after a year or two, you were able to start making comments. And then after another couple of years or two, you were able to start offering some writing. And so you paid your dues and you learned and you learned the process and you learned how to distinguish between a weak line of dialogue and a strong line of dialogue. And, and yet somehow those crappy shows still got themselves made. Certainly. certainly. <laughs> and, and again, but they, they were, I want to, I feel like they Look, were more exceptions. My, my, no, my, my feeling, no, um, my feeling is there's more shows now because of streaming. So there's True. more, there is naturally more crap because True. if 90% of shows are crap and 90% of shows are crap, that means if you multiply everything by a hundred, you're going to have so much crap. <laughs> right. I, I agree. I, I, I agree with that. I disagree with your percentages. I mean, even in the 2000s, My Name is Earl, Modern Family. Um, I mean, there were so many great sitcoms. Right. Now, imagine, okay, you've got those couple of great sitcoms. But there were way more great sitcoms than there but, were bad sitcoms. But now you have way less gatekeeping, okay? You've got way more, like, shows being produced in massive, massive right. quantities with very little, like, it's a sausage factory of production. Right. Right, because the streaming again, machine has got to be. If, fed. Was, if there was twenty percent crap back then, sure, there'd be more crap now if it was still twenty percent. But, but now, as the, but as the volume increases, the crap also increases. But it but does. it's different. Every Star Wars show because sucks. Every like Marvel right. show sucks. Every fantasy show sucks. There is nothing. That is not true. That is absolutely 100% not true because there is House of the Dragon. I'm sorry, that doesn't Okay, I, I, I will give you okay. House of the Dragon. <laughs> Wait, I will I'm not give done. You There's House Superman of the and Lois, which does not suck. Superman right. and Lois is stunning. It's amazing. Okay? It absolutely does not suck. Okay. <laughs> I, I only watched season one of that, but you're right. I, I actually liked it. Then I got cancer and I haven't gone back. Um, yeah. um, okay. So now you've picked two Lost, out of Lost of Us. Lost of Us is fantastic. So it is 
But unfortunately, they destroyed the second game. And so if they continue following it, Nothing. the writing. Oh, my God. The second game is terrible. Anyway, we can argue yeah. about that later. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but it, it was like whatever they do with the second season, the first season was fantastic. I'll just say it like this. I will never forgive them for Wheel of Time. Never forgive 100%. them. But. But again, like, I understand where you're coming from as an Uber fan of Wheel of Time. I get it. Okay. I, I completely, I get it. It's how I feel about Game of Thrones season eight. But you can't take that feeling and take it into every fantasy show and go, all fantasy show sucks because it's not true. But you only gave me one. No. You gave me one. You're right. House of Dragons I did was actually- not give you one. I gave you a whole bunch. And what about no, the- You only gave um, me one fantasy. You gave me one superhero. Okay. Um, the the uh, uh, Wanda Wanda and Vision, the Wanda and Vision show. That, but that's the a superhero. sitcom show. That's a superhero one. Yeah, I was talking about fantasy. Okay, all right. So we've we we've spoken about Last of Us. We've spoken about Game of Thrones. We've spoken about um, Superman and Lois. We've spoken about Wanda and Vision. Um, so when we're talking about fantasy, yeah, you got House of Dragons. Game of Thrones, blah. Wheel of Time, blah. Game of Thrones was Rings great. Power, no, no, blah. no, no. Game of Thrones was great until they ran out of source material and started making shit up. And right. I will give it to you that those two writers were experienced writers who came out of the 90s, out of the process you're talking about. They carry coffee and they still can't write. <laughs> and, and I've said this on the podcast before. I don't envy them that. They, I don't know... I don't know if I could have. I mean, I, I no, no. definitely would no, have done no, no, better. No, 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 let's, no, no, no. Forget the plot, okay? Those two those two guys stood in front of a TV and went, oh, well, you know, the reason why oh, Donna Race made this mistake was because she forgot about, I'm like, she, yeah. she forgot. No, I get it. Like I said, oh, we I don't know about if this I could have pulled it off. And the dialogue was trash. Yes. <laughs> So all of the things you just complained about, all of them came out of the pen of a writer who came out of the process you spoke about. <laughs> yeah. No, I like I said, <laughs> they did horrible. Season eight is It's God a travesty. Awful. But a travesty. I don't know if I could have, I mean, I could have done better. There's no doubt in my mind and that you can call <laughs> me arrogant for saying that. But I, I really think a monkey with a typewriter could have done better than what they did. So I'm not really putting a lot of it's a very low bar for me to say. I think I, could, I like, think a woke a woke kid coming out of college could have done better because they would have made it so bad that I might have laughed at it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I could have done better, but but I mean we can get into Game of Thrones. There, there's yeah. that was an impossible task. You had a story that was so care. out of control. I don't care. No, I don't care. I'm sorry. No, no, I, get, I, I can I, make I, those excuses for for. Right. I can make those excuses for Wheel of Time. No. You had a big. The the first book is weak. It had a weak ending. It was weakly written. The characters were kind of trashy. Like all of those things are true. Of the books, the first is the weakest. It is. So those guys gonna... had an impossible task. You can't blame them for it. Yeah, they had a guy <laughs> kill his wife and then never even. Blink an eye over it. These guys had a woman forget the one weapon that can kill her dragons. <laughs> <Touché>. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> They're both awful and should be drawn in court. Yes. <laughs> I think we're in agreement. <laughs> um, anyway, so we've gone my, way off the deep end. My, uh, my point is that, you know, it's, 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 it'll get there. Like, there'll be a couple of good shows. Always, I but I don't know. they're with, not going to be many. With this new crop of writers being told, and I, I bitched about this, this last thing, and then we need to wrap it up. I bitched about this about eight years ago. About eight years ago, when I was being invited to speak at college campuses and you know help teach some MFA classes, stuff like that, um, I noticed a trend in the writers' groups of the college. So this is the college professor would be putting on these writers' groups. And so you're talking about college kids that are in the MFA package or program coming to the writers group. And this is a critique group, writers critique group. That's what they called it. And how it worked was the person who wrote would read their work. And then the person who wrote would critique their work and everyone else would shut up because how dare you ever say anything about my art. And then the next person would read their work and critique their work and everyone. And I was like, okay, that that's not a critique group. That's literally a circle jerk. Like, no, this, this isn't, you can't grow like this. You can't become better. And so eight years ago, I saw the writing on the wall of these writers coming out, feeling like they couldn't be told anything, so, because how dare you? So here's the thing. Like I hear you on every single one of those things. And I understand what you're saying, but I also interact with people on critique circle who take harsh critiques and become but better. Most right? of those no? people, hold on, hold on. Most, let me wait, finish. Let me, let me say one thing before you go there. <laughs> most, if not all of those people have never stepped foot in an MFA program. I understand that. But this is my point. Like things like critique circle, things like writer circle, mm -hmm. they will turn out good writers. They well, will students, still be good writers. They will me out. They, they, they will still be good writers. But yes. The pe people who listen to our podcast will definitely become good writers. Yes. <laughs> listen to our podcast. But, but the, the, but yes, maybe the universities churn out crappy writers. And here's, the, here's problem. the thing also. No, no, here's the thing also, right? I work in the computer science industry. And this song about like universities turning out crappy writers is also sung in computer science. Okay, because um, <laughs> as the field grew bigger and bigger and bigger, people started churning out what we call drag and drop artists, people who basically just drag things onto a page and understand how to click it. They don't understand the underlying science. And this has resulted in a group of people, myself included occasionally, because sometimes I will catch myself doing this, being all judgmental about the younger generation of computer scientists because they know nothing. <laughs> and sometimes that is true. Even often that is true. But it doesn't mean that they are unteachable. And it doesn't mean that they don't become better because right. they do. There's, there's, they two do differences. there's two differences here. And I want to want to touch on these because I know we're running long. <laughs> One, if I came to you, let's say you were hiring a programmer and I came to you and I said, look, I've never been to college. I've never done anything. But here is here's programs I've created. Here is what I know. Here's, you know, this this self-guided test that I took, this, these certifications that I took. And I was top of my class. Would you hire me? Probably. Yeah. 
in the entertainment industry, that doesn't happen. If you don't have the piece of paper, you don't get looked at. So, so the people that we're talking about that are actually taking critique and getting kicked in the teeth and to understand that that's how you get better. The people, these artists that went to college have been told, don't ever let anyone tell you anything about your art because you're the artist. You're the only one who knows. No one else even deserves the right to give you criticism. And that's why when Wheel of Time comes out or or um, Wheel of Power or any of the shows that have come out in the last couple of years, when a fan goes, wow, I, I really didn't like that. That didn't do anything for me. The creator goes, that's because you're racist. Like, no, I, I just didn't like your story. Like, I, I just, I don't, you didn't write well. Yeah, because you're a bigot. Like, no, I I just didn't like, I don't like, I don't like what you did because they can't fathom. So, so that's one. One is you can't get these jobs without those pieces of paper. And two, these people that you're talking about in the programming industry, you say can still be trained because you can, they still understand they've got a lot to learn. When you are taught in college that you cannot be taught and you get into the world, that's what you know. You know that the right answer is you can't teach me. So if you give me notes on my weak dialogue, it's because you're a racist and I'm going to turn you into HR. And it literally is happening. So that's the difference. The difference here is that we have not just bad, inexperienced writers, but we have an industry that locks out everyone who isn't from that cadre. And that cadre is also teaching them that they can't be taught, that you can't be improved. You are already perfect. So and so I, I am a big believer in the uh, free market and the hand of the, the guiding hand of the market, if allowed to do its job. And, and I believe and it's it, will, swinging there. it will course correct. It because, will eventually. Because the the shows that do really badly will lose get money. tanked. Yeah, they lose they'll, money. They'll lose money. And their their networks will cut them. And you can already see, like the thing with streaming was at the beginning, especially, right? Because there was because it was so new and it was so novel. Like nobody cared if you had crap. You know what I mean? Like the the early Netflix shows were terrible. They were terrible. Oh. <laughs> you know, um, because they were just churning out stuff and putting them on, right. putting them on. I mean, South Park even did a joke about it. Like, yeah. thank you for calling next Netflix. How can we produce your show? They were producing everything, right, to yeah. put content up. And, and a lot of that was absolutely crap. And it gave rise to a streaming mindset of just put more content out. No matter what yeah. it is, just more content, more content, more content. More. That's what Disney does as well. More content, more content, more content. And the thing is, it has now come to the point where finally the streaming consumer, that's us, has mm -hmm. gone, you know what? There is too much content and there's too much crap and I can no longer find the shows I actually like yeah. because there's just so too I'm much just gonna crap. Stop. I'm so gonna I'm go just going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm going to cancel my streaming shows. And we yep. saw that with Netflix. And what happened? Netflix started curating better what they produce because mm -hmm. they were getting hurt. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And, 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 same, and it, like it probably won't happen with Disney because Disney is in a different like things no, they, it's gonna they, happen to them too. 
Maybe Hulu, it depends on whether the toy sales are heard, because that's where right. Disney's money comes from. But but have you seen any? Well, and this is Amazon, not Disney. But have you seen any Rings of Power toys? It, it, but Amazon's also a different model. Amazon is Am, no Amazon. No, no, no. Amazon right. is. I know that, but that's no. still a huge chunk of money. Sure, that doesn't anyway, exist. I, I don't think Jeff Bezos is hurting. I'll be honest with you. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's got all my money. I just send him, I literally just send him checks directly to his house. Yeah. <laughs> it's every day. Um, but but the, the point is that these streaming services will course correct Eventually, when, yeah. when when people, you know, it, it it will happen. It just, it takes some time for the market to work and for the streaming blood to get over it and all the rest of the stuff and for it to actually trickle down to hurting the company's bottom line. And of course, you know, these companies all made bank during COVID because we had nothing to do. So we were watching freaking Tiger. Well, I wasn't, but people were watching freaking Tiger King, you know. <laughs> so- Tiger King. <laughs> or at least a couple episodes. I don't think I watched the whole thing. But my, my point is like there are, you know, it, it will course correct. Um, and there are still good shows. Like yeah. they're just, you just have to really dig for them because there is a lot of bad shows covering them up but tiger king was actually interesting i mean sitting there <laughs> talking to a woman who has you know only half an arm is like oh yeah let me tell you about how i lost my arm to that got eaten by a tiger like that's interesting i mean that's entertainment um it's morbid and horrible and i hate that it happened to the woman but i mean i mean it's it's better than velma anything Anything. Game of Thrones, season eight. If is better I than got Velma. attacked by a tiger, it would be better than Velma. <laughs> my my blank TV is better than Velma. I would watch Game of Thrones season eight again before I watch Ooh. another episode of Velma. Wow. That is that is how bad Velma is. It's even worse than being attacked by a tiger. And, and, and you've just heard me talk about how, how I feel about Game of Thrones. <laughs> All right. So let's let's wrap this up. ChatGTP is really good for some things. You can use it to help organize yourself, organize ideas. It is an idea machine. So like when I'm creating, like I was talking about the monsters, and I know you cover this as well, but it's like, give me 10 creatures that live in this forest. And, and I might reject all of them, or I might reject nine of them or whatever. But still, it's ideas that I can go, ooh, that's kind of interesting. Let me, let me, let me explore that a little bit. And so there is, there is some usage. Here's what I say. Here's where I'll end this on. At least right now, AI is not going to replace artists, writers, artists, whatever. However, I do believe that creators who use AI are going to replace creators who don't use AI. And so I do think it's something that you, because because it's the same thing with Photoshop. Photoshop didn't replace artists, but Photoshop definitely replaced artists who use Photoshop with, or, or artists who don't use Photoshop with artists who do use Photoshop. You know, that's, that's the replacement there. Um, and so it is something that everyone needs to think about. So again, join my mailing list. I am going to do, it's probably not going to be until July 
um, probably right before Comic Con, and I'll probably do it again after Comic Con and Gen Con. So probably end of August. Yeah, I'll probably do a repeat of it. It's it's definitely worth doing. It's definitely worth getting on top of these tools. They are going to make writing faster. And if you can't keep up with the pace of the faster writing, yeah, you're not going to make it. With without AI, I can churn out in easily 50,000 words a month. And, and I'm talking about both world building and mm. plotting and writing. Now I'm churning out 100,000 words a month. Mm. And again, what it's really taking the load off is the world building. You know, that's the big side that it's doing. And some genres don't require a lot of world building. Fantasy so, uh, does. So I, with that erotica novella that I wrote, 20,000 words, and it was literally a week, right? 20,000 words written and edited. Um, and and that is all prose. None of that is world building. That's the story itself. There's reams of extra text on the world building because I apparently can't even write erotica without world building. <laughs> um, but so I wrote that in a week, which means that if I use ChatGTP in the same way as I did there, which is which was not to write prose, but to bounce ideas off. And to be like, what if I do this with a character? What if I do that with a character? What is the result of doing this to a person? That kind of thing. So um, if you, if I do, if I can maintain that kind of pace, that means I could literally produce a eighty thousand words in a month. That's a book a month. Yeah, a fantasy book a month. You know, um, a small Again, one, not, but it is. I don't think I could. I don't think I could be happy with the quality of it at that no. fast, at least not not where it's at now. But it does do stuff so like I was writing a scene um, a couple weeks ago, and it is a character pushing a basically a mentally vegetable character mm. in a wheelchair to this lake. And I wanted something to happen on the way, but nothing major. And so mm. I turned to the AI and I was like, you know, here's the scene. Give me five things that could happen that kind of interrupt the journey. Mm. And it threw out a couple of things. I didn't like any of them. So I was like, you know what? Give me five more. And it eventually came up with this thing of it's like, well, as she's walking by on the boulder, she notices there's this thing called a blood bug mm. and their bite is very nasty. And so she has to steer clear of it. And I was like, you know what? I really like that. That's that's good. That's easy. And then I made the mistake of tell me about this blood bug. And it was like, well, a blood bug is four feet long. And I'm like, OK, no, that that's not an that's not an annoyance. That's rip your arm off and eat you. <laughs> like, like, what are you doing? Um, so I kind of made it a little dragonfly looking thing. Um, but, you know, because she didn't interact with it. She was just like, "Ooh, scary, scary bug. Move around. <laughs> And she she has to take this long way. And it just it added a little element to the scene that was really cool. But that idea I generated in 30 seconds. Exactly. Literally, I asked a question, didn't like the answer, said, give me more, got the answer, liked the blood bug. And then, like I said, I made the mistake of trying to get it to describe the blood bug. But um, and then it went like, I'm not kidding. It was four foot. It was four foot long. And I'm like, yeah, that's not a scary bug. That's death. <laughs> that's a predator. Oh, that's so, awesome. but yeah, no. So I, I think, I think that it works really well for that bouncing ideas off. As I said, I didn't use it to write any of the prose. It, it anyway, it gets very upset if you feed it anything. Yeah, if you, if you do any violence, 
if you do any death, if you do any dead bodies, if you do any anything romantic, like that's not romantic. It's fine with romance. It's not fine with sex. If the clothes come off, oh, oh. boy, does it get prudish. It's like, I shouldn't be having anything to do with this. I'm only a year old. <laughs> if Jackson's nipple slips out, <laughs> it's over. It's over. Um, yeah, it doesn't like any of the, the that stuff at all. No. Uh, and since I write a lot of violence, mm-hmm. you know, it's never going to help me with that stuff. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, it is it is a tool that you need to learn to use. It is something that can help you work on ideas faster. I, I think that's really the, the basis of it. It, it. When you can say, here's my idea, what do you think? So like when we were making the prophecy, um, me and, it was me and one of the other writers, and I just wrote, so in the prophecy, I, I need it to give clues to the character on what they need to do next. And so I literally just wrote it. I just wrote, he goes here and gets this thing. He goes here and gets that thing. He goes here and gets this thing. And AC was reading that and he's like, dude, what are you doing? That's way like, that's no, that's too. Pre-. I'm like, no, no, don't worry about it. This is just placeholders. And then once I got it, then I fed it into it and I said, make these vague. And then it came back with something that was flower because because we were working on the prophecy. So I'm like in the style that working on blah, blah, blah. Again, it's all about the prompt. But, and then it, came back with some stanzas that were much more vague, but had, cause it didn't know this information. And so since I directed it to take the actual specific information out and replace it with vagueness and to keep it in the stanza kind of poeticness that we're doing, it did a pretty good job. I still had to edit it, but mm-hmm. it's still, I'm not good at that flowery writing. And so it gave me ideas to help me come up with an end product. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we're talking about in a minute because I could write, Bob goes here and gets this magic item. Bob goes there and gets that magic item. Like I could literally just write down what I wanted, feed it to it and tell it basically how to rewrite it. Yeah. Um, and so that works really, really well. It does. So yeah, so those are our thoughts on ChatGTP and a brief look at why we think it's not a great writer. Um, <laughs> a whole bunch of extras, rabbit chasing. A whole bunch of extras, our argument about the quality of writers and whether we're doomed or whether we'll make it eventually. <laughs> and uh, we Follow will... us. Look, we're going to give you great <laughs> entertainment. You want entertainment. <laughs> you, you got it here. Tell your friends. Spread the word, spread the gospel. We're going to take care of you. And we will see you soon for another one. Bye.